My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. The first property we, we bought, um, as, as I said, I could see farming was hard, hard work. And I didn't really want my husband um, doing that when he was in his 70s and living off a, a measly pension. Um, so I thought, well, if we can get some properties going and some rental income coming in, hopefully replace our income, then we won't have to work so hard. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with strawberry farmer, property investor, mum and self-described serial entrepreneur Dawn Canali. In the last two decades, she has built over $20 million in property. Tune in to find out what got her started and why, who her gods are and why Channel 7 has been chasing her for one of their shows. They say you can't do it all, but Dawn Canale is proving them wrong, one industry at a time. She took on accounting before diving into farming and motherhood and doesn't plan to stop learning and earning anytime soon. I've been a strawberry farmer for about 23 years. My husband um, grew up on the strawberry farm in the Yarra Valley. So I have an accounts background as well and a diploma in financial planning. Um, I'm pretty much self-taught multimillionaire in property, learning from books and other successful people. And um, I've accumulated over 23 million in property returning over a million dollars in rental income plus running a successful strawberry farm seven days a week and I have two amazing teenage daughters aged 16 and 18. With so many things going on at once, what does a typical day look like for Canali? Is there even a typical day? Well, at the moment, it's not really strawberry season so um, this actually this year I've taken a, a year off, it's like a gap year so I'm studying. So I'm doing lots of research and study to actually write my own book. Um, so I get up 6.30 in the morning and it's pretty much go, go, go with family life and studying until I go to bed at night. Canali expands on what she's currently studying. I'm doing a, um, I love real estate course with a lady called Dittner Bohol and I've been doing that for about three or four years. So uh, I'm a platinum member in that. Um so we have, you know, monthly meetings and seminars all year round. 
Uh, and I'm also doing lots of other seminars as well. So life coaching, I've done NLP. Um, I'm doing a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within next month. Uh, I've, I've just done lots of seminars this year. If one comes up and I'm available, I, I just go to everything. As an avid learner, she has found this has helped her with her property investing journey and helped to where she is now. I feel you never stop learning. So um, I just want to learn everything, um, you know, and, and just help people by putting it all in a book. I just want to cater to the younger generation actually um, where they're still like a nice young sponge that want to learn and I have a bit of a motto that uh, if um, I'm happy to help anybody who's prepared to help themselves. So if they, I get a lot of people come to me as a mentor and, um, yeah, I just give them some advice on what to do and how to do it and, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I found that's kind of my calling at the moment which is why it's kind of inspired me to write a book as well. We know she didn't grow up on the strawberry farm. So where did Canale sprout from? Well, I was actually born in Wagga Wagga. Uh, my father was in the Air Force, uh, so we moved around a lot. And by the time I'd moved here on the farm, I'd moved house 15 times. Um, yeah, we just moved around a lot. Um, I was a Victorian champion in karate when I was 15. I trained six days a week. Uh, I was a year 12 school captain. And all of this has kind of taught me a lot of discipline and to be very adaptive in life. Between her father being in the Air Force and Wagga Wagga being in New South Wales and Canale now living in Victoria, she has moved a lot in her life so far. I was only there for a month after I was born and then we moved to Perth. So I was in Perth till I was seven and then we lived in Malaysia, Penang, Malaysia overseas. Uh, And then we came back to Melbourne when I was about 10 and I've been in Melbourne ever since but still I've lived in about 10 different places in Melbourne moving around everywhere. But I just I feel it's made me really adaptable, a bit of a chameleon. So wherever whatever field I um, what I choose to do, like even being on the farm, I never had farming background, but I was quite keen to learn. As soon as you get on, it's like, okay, what else? Well, how can I learn this? And yeah, you just become really adaptable. Making friends as a child can be difficult enough, even without frequent moves. Did this hinder Canali or perhaps add strength to her character? That was quite hard, actually. Um, I always feel like I'm a bit of a black sheep because you're always changing schools and having to, you know, build rapport with people and become friends with them, which has made me. Um, I find it's really easy to meet people now, and like even all these seminars I go to, I love networking and meeting new people and sitting near new people, and and even with the I love real estate group that I'm with. I try to sit near different people every time um, and don't just sit in your comfort zone, you know. You get just go, okay, I'm going to meet 10 new people today and you just go and meet different people. But, and and I, I find that really easy. I actually enjoy it. With her dad being in the Air Force and traveling a lot, Canali explains how she learned a lot about life from her mum and how she passes that on to her children today. Because dad was away a lot. Um, my mum kind of had to control the whole house. She handled all the finances and yeah, she really took control which is kind of like what I do in my life now. <laughs> I'm the one who handles all the all the finances and controls the kids and a little bit of that 
military style with the children as well, which I like. Um, but it teaches them discipline. Like my kids are real tough when it comes to that, especially being on a farm as well. Um, I, I think it just sets you up for life. Like you just, you're virtually telling them it's not negotiable. This is what you got to do. And um, you know they fight it a bit when they're younger, but now they're older, they're just so strict in their own um, discipline, which is amazing. Like their work ethic is amazing for 16 and 18 year olds to just know there's jobs to do and they just go and do it I, I really love seeing it now like all the, the hard work when you're a mum pushing your children um, and then you see it paying off when they're young adults is really rewarding I really enjoy that we get a glimpse into the work ethic she's instilled in her children as she details her eldest daughter's promising career aspirations a lot of education starts at home. It's not just at school. So if you can, you know, teach them to have good beliefs, you know, not limiting beliefs, um, it, it sets them up for life. And that discipline, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying physical discipline, I'm just saying mental discipline that sets them up for life and just say, look, it's not negotiable. People don't, you know, not everyone likes doing the jobs they do. You know, you just got to suck it up and do it. And um, there's, you know, like they're doing really well at school. My my oldest daughter's at university and she's just finding it really easy. She is studying photography, but her work ethic is amazing. And she's got her, had her own business for two years, even while she was doing year 12. And um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I can talk a little bit about that later, but just, you know, her attitude to, uh, towards working and not being afraid to make phone calls and reaching out and getting business. She's 18. <laughs> she blows me. I learn a lot from her. I'm like, wow, did I teach you this stuff? Wow. Shifting to property, Canelli explains how her interest and savviness in this arena came from her mum. Because we moved a lot, we did tend to... Um, my mum would buy a house and always went for a bigger, better house. And she'd explain how, oh, you know, we sold this place for 115000 and then we went and bought this house that's, you know, five squares bigger in a better location and we built it for only $10,000 more. So you see the value um, in properties. And, like, sometimes my dad had just come home and there's a full sale sign in the front of the house. And he'd be like, what are you doing? He'd say, oh, I found this really nice house. It's bigger and better. And, and all of a sudden, we're moving again. <laughs> but but each time, like, she gained equity. And, and my brother turned out to be a builder. So she started, you know, taking advantage of that as well. It's like, oh, you can build us a bigger and better house. And, you know, so seeing that, um, yeah, I suppose that was probably my first thing of um, experience with property seeing how, you know, you you can gain that equity in, in houses by building and, yeah, that, that was probably the start. Canelli has a portfolio of properties. Did her mum have the same or did she stick to family homes one at a time? They're mainly just their, their own home. What she had said to me, she wished she knew, you know, all this kind of information years ago, but um, I think the majority of people just think of their, their PPR, their, you know, their home as an investment, and it's not. Um, to me, an investment is something that provides an income, um, and but 
my mum um, and a lot of other people tend to think that their house is an investment and um, they put everything into their house and they don't need anything else. But, um, you know, what are you going to do, take a brick off to eat it when you want to retire? You know, it doesn't work like that. Canelli delves into the first job she had and what they taught her, not just about work but about life. When I was at school, my first job, I really wanted to work in the stock market. I loved the buzz of that but that's when the crash happened. So I, I actually had a job lined up and that got cancelled. So then I thought, oh, if I try and go through the finance arena, through a bank or something, I might still get to the stock market. So my first job was actually in a bank at Card Services and Head Office in South Melbourne. Then um, I, an opportunity came up to change to a construction company for double the income, so I took that pretty quickly. Um, then that company went broke. Um, went into receivership. So then I worked for another construction company as a personal assistant for an estimator, which is very interesting. Uh, then I worked for Fletcher Jones, head office of accounts receivable, then Cussons um, for doing accounts payable. And one thing I found working in, in lots of different industries is they're all like an apprenticeship to life. You learn little bits out of each job and it kind of helps you with your, you know, your your financial journey, um, and it also helps you with your money vocabulary. I I always use this term money vocabulary. I don't know if I've stolen it off anyone, but I use it a lot. I thought I created it, but anyway, I I <laughs> so I kind of think of it as your money vocabulary, like dealing with lots of money. Like when I worked for customs doing accounts payable, I was paying over $20 million a year in checks. So when you're seeing that kind of money turning over all the time and, you know, like budgets of, say, $14 million in advertising every year, and you know, it just makes you think of money a little bit differently as opposed to just dealing in your $500 paycheck every week and how you're going to budget that. You know, so I always say your money vocabulary, like when you're so used to hearing millions of dollars in figures that it's not unusual for you to start thinking in those terms. Like my kids, I I make them aware of the, you know, the million dollar properties and the, the hundreds of thousand dollars in rent each one gives you and loans that you're taking. So they're familiar with these kind of figures all the time. Yeah, I think that's really important. She details when she jumped into strawberry farming and how her wise words helped others to help themselves. I think I was about 24. My husband wanted me to quit my job to uh, work on the farm and and um, and I, at the time, they, they weren't making a hell of a lot of money. They only had a couple of staff but because I'd worked for big corporate companies at hundreds and or thousands of staff, and they had four staff, and I said, well, you know what, I'm kind of earning $50,000 a year at the moment at that age, which was excellent. I did have three jobs. but um, And I said, well, if I'm going to quit my job, you kind of have to plant a few more strawberries to cover my income plus do your income. So um, I said, I'm not quitting until you, know, until you do that. So then he started expanding. 
and um, like the old school Italian farmers don't like paying for wages and they try to do everything themselves, manual labour, hard backbreaking stuff. And and I'd say to him, why are you doing that? Isn't there a machine, some kind of implement you can put on the back of a tractor to do that? What are you doing it by hand for? So I kind of came in looking at the big picture and they were so programmed to do everything manually that um, he'd say, oh, yeah, but that would cost me $1,500. I go, honey, it's tax deductible. What are you doing? Look at how much time you're wasting doing it. You know, buy the, buy the implement, will you? Um, so I started making him think in a different way. So he started buying more tractors, more you know, more implements, putting on more staff, expanding the business. And from from back then, he's actually got over ten times bigger than what he was then. Um, and every and everything back then, you kind of like paid cash for it. And whereas I've taught him like leveraging, getting loans for things, and um, using them to your advantage. Um, that, that's mainly in property. I mean, I wouldn't get loans for basic stuff on the farm, but um, tractors definitely. Why not lease it? You know. So we started started doing things like that over a three year period. Um, whereas before they'd have to save up to actually buy it. I said, honey, sometimes the bank is your friend. If you use it to your advantage and you 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 disciplined in what you buy even credit cards are good i don't pay one cent in interest on my credit card and i probably use probably 10 to twenty thousand dollars a month on my credit card so um but geez i get some nice points canelli explains how she got started building her first property in her portfolio and how putting her foot down really paid off figuratively and literally the first property we we bought um as, as i said i could see farming was hard hard work and i didn't really want my husband um doing that when he was in his 70s and living off a, a measly pension um so i thought well if we can get some properties going and some rental income coming in hopefully replace our income then we won't have to work so hard so that was my my strategy Plus, we were paying tax, and I thought, how can I minimise our tax? So there was two two things there. So we bought our first property um, back in 1998 when I was five months pregnant. And I remember saying to my husband about buying a property, I said, oh, you know, I want to start buying. And uh, he said, no, 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 I don't like loans. I don't want to do this. And I said to him, honey, you either do it with me or so I'm going to do it on my own. And I was pregnant at the time, and... He's like, okay, well, if you're pregnant and you're that strong about it, we, we'll start looking. So we bought our first place in Ringwood, um, Victoria, and um, we did all our due diligence. This place in Ringwood, we knew the freeway was going to come through in years to come. So we went to council and made sure that we were in a safe area. It wasn't going to get taken off us. Um, so we purchased this one particular block. Um, knowing down the track it could have a commercial benefit to it because it was the last property right on the freeway. And um, as it turned out, um, uh, Eastlink actually liked the property as well and built their head office on it. So they did compulsory acquisition and forced us to sell um, and they saw the commercial benefit of it. So we're a little bit disappointed in that. Um, 
but but saying that, we did get legal action and we uh, fought it for about three or four years and we did end up making a 400% profit on it. So it was it, it was pretty good. Yeah, we, yeah, we paid about 190 for it and we ended up selling it for 880 which then gave us quite a bit of money to um, buy other properties. So I split that and bought two other big properties out of it. I kind of have a rule of not to sell. I like to keep my properties. Um, and at the start, I, I once we bought that one, it was 190. I thought, you know what? I could do this every year. If we buy something for 200,000 every year for 10 years, in 10 years, I'm going to have $2 million in property. Well, I kind of achieved that in three years. So I thought, okay, well, my next target's $5 million, then $10 million, then $15 million, then $20 million. And we just kept... You know, I never told my husband these goals because he'd, he'd have a heart attack. I wonder how, how it feels right now after hearing that large amount. <laughs> well, he's happy now. But, um, yeah, at the time, yeah, he was he's really scared of loans. So if he knew I was just going to keep buying to, to get more and more loans, then he would have freaked out. So we just did it one at a time. Oh, I think maybe we should buy another one now. I think we're ready for another one now. Um, but in my head, I had these goals and targets that I wanted to reach. And, and in the end, the, the value became a bit boring. I, I suppose once you got to 20 million, it's like, yeah, okay, that's boring now, the next level, blah, blah, blah. But then I started focusing on the rental income. Then I was like, no, you know, because we, we had a couple in there that were a bit of land banking. So even though the value was going up, your rent was, wasn't going up. It might have been going down because it was negatively geared. So so then I started focusing on the rental income and then I wanted a goal of a million dollars in rent and I actually achieved that last year. So I was quite, I was quite happy with that. And sometimes it wasn't buying a new property. It was just redeveloping one you already had or changing tenants and just moving things around a little bit and um, you know, changing the use of it. So, yeah, that, that was quite – that was fun. That was a good target. So, how long has she been building up her portfolio? Yeah, 98. So, um, 18, 19 years. Yeah, so about 20 years. So, you, you could literally say that you bought it, you know, you've increased or, or increased your portfolio a million dollars a year if you want to put it that way. I do want to buy like a $2 million, $2 million property every two years. So, that's kind of what I was aiming for. Heading into the reasons behind why Canelli got into property investing, we begin with finding out how many properties she currently has in her portfolio. Uh, I had 15. Okay, and are they mostly located around in the Melbourne area, or they're all into like spread across Australia? Most of them are uh, Melbourne. Um, I, d- I don't do rural, so they're all you know not too far from the CBD, um, except our farm, which is the Yarra Valley, and that's fifty k's away. But but it's not rural, rural. Um, and I do have two properties up in the Gold Coast as well, in Broadbeach Waters on canals. Sounds like Canelli has a broad selection of well-located properties. What gave her the idea to invest in the Gold Coast, so far from Melbourne? You know, I don't get emotionally attached to properties, but I do always have, you know, reasons why I want to buy them. And the Gold Coast one was for, you know, future retirement. Um, I thought, oh yeah, we go up there every year. We may as well get a tax deduction going up there every year. So we bought a property up there, and every year now when we go 
We do stay in hotels because that's rented out permanently, but at least you can claim travel, some travel expenses in going up there and kind of pays for a bit of your holiday every year. Initially, Canelli started investing so that she and her husband wouldn't need to do back-breaking work in their retirement years. Now that she's achieved those financial goals, what keeps her investing? My husband still does the strawberry farm and yes, we could have retired quite a few years ago. But um, because my, my kids are still quite young, it provides a job for them as well. And it also teaches them work ethic. Like they still see that, oh, mum and dad are successful and they're still working. So I don't want them to see mum and dad retired and not lazy, but not, you know, working every day um, with a purpose. Um, I, I just think that's really important for the kids to see by example. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and there's a job for them too. So my 16-year-old, they basically can work seven days a week whenever they want to. I mean, when, when we're really busy, it's, they kind of have to. Um, we, we do let them have some time to themselves. It's not that strict because we're a real ball and chain. But the, the opportunities there, like my oldest who's at uni now, um, she doesn't need to go and find a job elsewhere because she knows she can always earn income on the strawberry farm, like basically get up in the morning and work. Um, she is a professional photographer now and she does have her own work. Um, but if she has a quiet week, she's always got a strawberry farm. So she can still earn whatever she wants to. Canelli shares the hurdles she has overcome in property, including some she encountered in an out-of-ordinary purchase. I find with property, there's always hurdles. And every property we have ever bought has always had some kind of a problem. And sometimes when there's a problem, you can um, monetize it. Like, if, if for, for example, if there's a, a property that no one wants to buy, like what's the reason? Like there could be some issues going on. Um, like in particular, I bought a block of factories at one stage and the owner was one of the tenants. And and there was four other um, there was four factories, and he was causing problems with all the tenants. There was a bit of um, they were all fighting. Some of them had to share toilets, and they were locking each other out, so they had to walk up the road, and it, it was just a, an absolute headache. And no one wanted to touch it. But um, I thought it was really good value, and pretty much land value. And you got good rent from it um, just because it had a few headaches. And I, and I saw solutions to those problems. So we, I bought that and, um, and instead of having a body corporate, obviously when you own it all, you, you have an owner's corporation. And um, so I separated off all four of the factories. So they all had their own entrance and driveway and a fence was there. I, you know, built toilets in the ones that didn't have them to keep everyone separate. They had their own space, their own car park, car parking spaces. So no one had to overlap. There was no reason to get in each other's face and cause issues. Um, the owner, uh, he, he obviously left once he sold it. So that was vacant, and, um, which created another problem for people too. They didn't want a vacant 
um, property. So we leased that out. Um, and, yeah, once we fixed up all those problems and you, you go around to the tenants and say, you know, what, what are your issues? How can we help you? Because if you're not happy, I'm not happy. And you sort out all their problems. They love you as a landlord. You love them as tenants. It's a two-way street. You look after everybody. And um, that's turned out to be one of my best properties. And um, just because, you know, sometimes when there's problems, you can actually fix them. It's a commercial property, yeah. actually had five five leases on four factories because there was a, a billboard as well, a large billboard. Was there any opportunity to also adjust the rent due to the fact that she implemented all of these changes? All of them had opportunities because we concreted areas, created more car parking areas, we fenced it off so they had their own locked little area so um, we could increase the rent. We did that on a gradual basis, not all in one, one go. And his son also rented one of the factories and they signed him up on a $12,000 a year lease when it should have been about 36000 and it was a three-by-three-by-three, by three by three, and he thought he was kind of safe for nine years, um, not noticing that there was a you know, a, a rent review after the three years. So that was only a year and a half away we had to wait. And then when that came, we actually increased it to 30000 and he wasn't happy, so we left. But, you know... We, we we got we got to, yeah what can you do hey um so we increased that to thirty thousand and um yeah so there was a lot of upside to it we saw a lot of potential but sometimes headaches can be potential. Many investors have the moment when everything clicks and it's different for everybody. Canali shares what made her realize investing was her destiny. Discovering the power of leverage, that one. That one was a real wow. That was an aha moment for me because we'd always um, wanted to pay 20 or 30% deposit on any of our properties. Um, So when this particular factory come up for sale, the the block of four factories, when that come up for sale, I was at the auction and again, no one wanted to touch it. And... um, my hubby was back at the farm and I was actually going just to have a look, but I took my checkbook with me just in case. And I, it got passed in and at the end of it, I kind of hung around because I could see the husband and wife arguing and with the agent and and they, they wanted to sell because it was a divorce. And um, I went up to the agent and I said, look, I've got my checkbook here right now. I'm prepared to give you $1.8 million for the property. Um, and I'll give you a check now of a hundred thousand dollars if you you know if you want to take it. Um, so they went back to the the owners and they um, you know, obviously agreed on it. But the, the aha part of it was that I only put a hundred thousand dollars down and I borrowed the whole one point eight million, which again freaked hubby out. But I knew my figures, so um, yeah, put a hundred thousand on it and. It was paying um, about one hundred twenty thousand dollars in rent, no, one hundred seventy in rent, and the loan repayments were only going to be about one hundred twenty. So it's fifty thousand dollars positive cash flow, and all I had to do was put a hundred thousand on. So 
when I, when I worked out there was a 50% return on investment, I was like, wow, I can borrow the whole lot and only put, you know, $100,000 on. That's when I, I was like, wow, I love this. So my, my hubby just freaked out at the loan. You know, oh, my God, it's a $1.8 million loan. What are you doing? And I said, honey, look at the figures. We can cover it. So, obviously, you have to have equity in other properties because you've got to have the 30% equity. Um, but then I did that a couple of other times and did exactly the same thing, and they all paid, like, $50,000 positive cash flow. So, because we were earning good money from the strawberry farm, I didn't uh, – enough to pay the deposit. I didn't need the extra – positive cash flow. So I'd always reinvest it back on or, or put it back onto the loan. So I paid off my loans quite quickly. Um, and whatever I had from the strawberry farm too, like it was really big for me to just pay down those loans as quick as possible. And then you're getting more equity in it, which is more borrowing power. So the, the power of leverage, I think, was my aha moment. Yeah, not not a particular property, just the power of leverage and compounding. Wow. Coming up after the break, Canelli discusses the people, books, and TED talks they inspire her. I've read a lot of books. <laughs> I've read a lot of books since then. I, I do feel you never stop learning. So um, I do love to see how other people do it. I, I do feel like I'm a bit of a chameleon in my mindset. She delves into the unique rental experience she offers on holiday letting websites. Once we did it, we did spend $150,000 on the renovation. It had to be re-stumped and re, or the whole frame had to be redone as well. It was you know, fixed up um, and it just turned out so beautiful and now it's such a beautiful old weatherboard character home that I rent out um, for $650 a night. Canali details her money-saving tips. When I had my first job, I didn't earn a hell of a lot of money. So when I got my second job, which was double the income, I still lived as if I had my first income. And I banked all the extra money. So I was so disciplined with saving money that when it comes to buying property, if, if I needed a 20% deposit, um, I would just, I would live off bread and water. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharm and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. Coming back, does anything hold Canelli back in property? 
all in life? I don't feel like anything really holds me back. Like if I if I get a set on something, I tend to face it head on and not kind of think about it too much. I kind of jump in. I, I always say you kind of jump in the deep end and learn how to swim. So I don't really have time to... To, to let something hold me back. If I get my mind set on something, I just go for it and just do it. So I love that saying, just do it. So, yeah, I, I can't see anything really held me back that I could think of. Yeah, I just face it head on. It makes sense that after so many changes throughout her childhood, Canali adapts well and doesn't let things hold her back. Did this mindset come naturally to her? Well, I've read a lot of books. <laughs> I've read a lot of books since then. I, I do feel you never stop learning. So um, I do still love to see how other people do it. I, I do feel like I'm a bit of a chameleon in my mindset. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say easily influenced, but if I read a book, um, say Steve Jobs, for instance, and I look at the way he does stuff and his strategy, I will then implement it into my life. Um, I love, yeah, all, all those kind of people like Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Brian Tracy, all, all those kind of people. I do tend to, my, my mindset is mainly study and focus. Sometimes mentors appear seemingly out of nowhere and you don't realize they're a mentor until after the fact. Canali shares her experience in this area. I'd say at the start, the mentors that I had didn't realise they were mentors. I just saw a lot of successful farmers in the area that were making a lot of money off property. So I asked a lot of questions, just like, oh, I hear you got some property and why do you choose this property over that one? And I learned, you know, commercial property um, is usually positive cash flow and uh, residential is normally negative cash flow um, and they pay all the outgoings in, in commercial. So I, was, I just learned a lot about um, the benefits of both of them and sometimes negative cash flow can be good too. Like I bought a property three years ago that I knew was going to be negative cash flow but I knew the capital growth was you know, double or triple what that was. And, and as it turned out, um, I ended up selling it two years later and I doubled my money. So I didn't mind having a $50,000 a year negative cash flow because I knew um, that the capital growth was there. I knew that the zoning were changing, so I kind of took advantage of that. But, um, yeah, mentors and resources, I read lots of books. Um, I love TED Talks. Uh, I, I love YouTube. I I study a lot and watch a lot of YouTube. If ever I need to find out something, I tend to go to YouTube. TED Talks contain a wealth of information. Which speakers inspire Canelli the most? No, it's just whatever I've, I'm thinking at the time. Like I've listened to, you know, to so many different um, things. Not not just property. In fact, I don't think any of them are property related. It's just psychology. I just love listening to how how people do things, like how your brain works, or how to deal with negativity, how to deal with depression. And because I do tend to mentor a lot of people, and if you can help them change their their state and their mindset, and how to deal with depression, and understand how your brain works. So I do tend to look up a lot of that as research so that if I'm mentoring or coaching someone, then 
I I kind of know what I'm talking about, not just from experience, but scientific as well. She shares the best piece of advice she has received and reveals her strawberry success on Airbnb. I'd say don't trust other people with your money. Um, that's probably a good thing. Um, and your past doesn't equal your future. Uh, Tony Robbins says that, and I, oh, I just I love that. Yeah, so that, that, those those two pieces of advice that I really hold true. So in your financial side, you know, don't be so gullible giving people your money. Always have that control. Like if if I, I haven't really ever done a joint venture, um, and that's because I feel that if I can't afford to do it myself, then don't do it. I don't like. I'm very strong, strong-minded. So if I get set in my way, this is how I want to do a property, and then someone else wants to do it a different way, I don't like that. Like I bought a, I bought a, um, a farm next door, and I turned it into a strawberry farm retreat, and I rented out on Airbnb and Stays.com, and it's a, this hundred-year-old house, and my brother's a builder, and he helped with the renovations, and he told me to knock it down. And I said, no way, look at the character. I love the high ceilings and the, the Baltic pine floorboards and just the character of the house is absolutely beautiful. And I said, no way, not knocking it down. This is what we're doing. And I told him um, my ideas and he's like, no, oh, I think you're wasting your time. But once we did it, we did spend $150,000 on the renovation. It had to be re-stumped and Re, or the whole frame had to be redone as well. It was, you know, fixed up, um, and it just turned out so beautiful. And now it's such a beautiful old weatherboard character home that I rent out um, for six hundred fifty dollars a night. It's uh, four bedrooms for eight people, and I'm booked out every single weekend till the end of February. It is. It's like a phenomenon. It's unbelievable how popular this place is. Um, and it's pretty good cash flow as well. Like if I rented that out permanently, I'd only get about $500 a week. But by putting it on Airbnb um, and renting it out as holiday letting, I'd probably make 120 a year from it. It'll turn over, turn over 120 but um, but this is the things that I learnt through um, the I Love Real Estate community is just changing the use of a property. Like that dip in a bow hole isn't is amazing. Like I have Tony Tony Robbins is my male god and she's my female god. I, I, I just I just love the way she thinks. I think she's an accounting background. I, I think the same way as her. But um, yeah, she's very good. Character and uniqueness are powerhouses when it comes to holiday letting and Canali's retreat has those in spades. It's on a strawberry farm. It's called the Strawberry Farm Retreat. So they have their own patch of strawberries, like 10,000 um, plants of strawberries that they could pick all day, every day if they want to. So it's something unique. You're creating an experience as well. So I take them on a farm tour um, show them around the farm. They see how the farm runs. So it's not just accommodation. It's actually an experience. And they come for the weekend and they just love it. They get really good reviews and I won awards for it through stays. Um, Channel 7 even contacted me to do a TV program on it, um, which I declined. Um, 
And that was because it was one of those reality shows where I would go and stay at other properties as well and then we'd all judge each other. And and I said, "Mm, I don't like judging other people. I'd like to go there and tell them how amazing their place is. I don't want to go there and pick the hell out of it so that I win something. So I that that I didn't like. So I I chose not to do it. Um, although I would have been a, a marketing dream. Having amassed over twenty million dollars worth of property in her portfolio, Canelli discusses the steps she took to get to this great place and the missteps she sees others take. I like to start small. I do have I'm a very conservative investor, so I don't believe in taking a lot of risks. Um, but I do believe in starting small and paying paying off what you can, try and get some capital growth in it, like renovate it and make it um, better than what it was when you started with it. Um, so you get some capital growth in there and then you could probably have some more borrowing power to, to do another one. I kind of like the strategy of buying every year or every second year. Um, cut back on your expenses to to afford to invest as much as possible. Like when I had my first job, I didn't earn a hell of a lot of money. So when I got my second job, which was double the income, I still lived as if I had my first income and I banked all the extra money. So I was so disciplined with saving money that when it comes to buying property, if if I needed a 20% deposit, um, I would just, I would live off bread and water. I would scrounge and save and knew that, okay, I'll work twice as hard. I had three jobs when I met my husband. So, yeah, I, I, I always invested about 90% of my income. I know that's impossible for most people, but um, I just worked harder to earn more. And then... And then I invested 90% of it. And I actually teach my children that now, that everything they bank, I always say to them, look, you can spend 10% of it on yourself um, and reward yourself because that is important. Um, but then save the rest and invest it. Because when, when you start investing, like it's not how much you earn, it's how much you keep. So I know a lot of people that earn you know, as a salary, they might earn two, three hundred thousand dollars, and they're still paying off their family home and not investing. But geez, they got nice cars every year, and they change it every year when the latest one comes out, or every second year. They'll travel to beautiful holidays. They'll go to the best restaurants, wear the best clothes. They're always going out and having the best of everything, but. You know, when if they lost their job, where's that money going to come from? You know, so I, I think you should invest it to have passive income. And then once you have passive income, then you can waste it a little bit. She reveals whether she had any self-imposing limitations on the types of properties she buys and if anything can bend those barriers. Okay, well, strategies when it comes to property. Um... I do like to be able to see it, so I don't like buying regional or interstate. Like I like to be able to know that if it needs, um, if it has problems, I can go there and help fix it. Um, but what, it, 
my criteria when I buy a property is definitely location, location, location. If I, like you could just say a particular suburb and, and someone will just go buy something in a back street, right? Sometimes um, a main road can actually be really good. I actually love main road. Um, for future potential. I always like to think five or ten years down the track. So it might be residential today, but you could see one block um, to your left or to your right, there's commercial property that down down the track, that bit of a ripple effect might then turn that into commercial zoning. Um, uh, yeah, there's locations, everything. And, uh, yeah, so you can have something at the front street and the back street and I wouldn't touch the one at the back street but I might love the one at the front street and even even saying that even all the ones on the front street do a drive by drive past it because sometimes it can be in your blind spot so to me it's not a good property I like to have that visual look because to me it's advertising and if you're looking at it from a commercial point of view if you're going to have your your office or or shop there, um, and someone's driving past, and it's and it's like a billboard. You're getting free advertising. I mean, people pay a lot of money to advertise on billboards because you're driving past. So why shouldn't your your property be an actual like a billboard? So lo- location is everything to me. So could we say her strategy is to look for residential properties that could turn into commercial properties further down the track? even a commercial property, already commercial. Like I have some good main road frontage commercial properties that um, at the time I bought them pretty much for land value and they were paying positive cash flow income. But um, I could see potential even down the track. Like one in particular I bought in Croydon. Um, I could see the um, the property behind was like five, four or five-storey apartment block. So I thought, hey, I've got a single-story um, retail commercial property here, but down the track, I could probably have retail down the bottom and commercial, I mean, sorry, apartments up top. So I, I'm always looking for the the upside to any property as well. Like I'm not just going to go buy a normal house in a back street. I would never do that. Canelli has a great habit of thinking outside the box and making her property developable, seeing potential for adding value that others don't see. Always think of value add, yeah, always. Or even if you did get one in a back street, like there's nothing wrong with it. I don't look for it, but at um, at other houses in the street, um, turning their you know block one one house on a block into four townhouses. You know what I mean? I would, I would buy something like that. You know what I mean? If you know that you could turn one into four, so there's there's still that potential there and that value add down the track. She has shared her professional habits that have helped her achieve success. Does she have any personal habits that have helped her in her career as well? I never give up. Um, yeah, I, I just never give up. If I believe in something, I just get focused on it. Um, you know, I, I know everyone has ups and downs in in life as well, and it's how quick you pick yourself up and change your state. So, my personal habit is if 
you know, um, you know, if you do, if you are having a bad day, you you absorb it in. Like you do have to feel it. You don't be in denial, but you know, feel it a little bit. But then um, change your state and learn from it. If everything is every experience. There's a lesson in it, good and bad. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my habit. I do tend to look at a lesson in everything. Um, and I never give up either. If I if I believe in something, I just have my little vision and and um, yeah, move forward. Earlier, she mentioned she loved to read books. She now shares some of her favorites about investing, mindset and business. I do love Dipna Boholt. She does have quite a few books and it's all about um, real estate. So if you want real estate books, she's got lots. Um, but as far as other books, I love the Audible app. And I get a book every month and I, I just love listening to how other people have done things like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, uh, Richard Branson. At the moment, I'm listening to The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, so there's not one particular book. I think any book, when you read it, there's always one or two really good relevant points in there that um, add to the big picture of success. Um, there's not one book that, you know, there's not only one book, but there's no Bible. You, you have to find bits and pieces out of all of them and they're all so inspiring. Like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, that, that's amazing too. There's so many good ones. Tony Robbins, I, I just love him. Um, Unleash the Power Within. She's achieved so much in just over two decades. What would Canali say to herself if she could meet herself 10 years ago? I think all I could relate it to is the, the advice I give my children now, which is more than 10 years ago. But um, I, I just um, tell my children that they can be anything they want to be um, if you put your mind to it. And I and I love this term reverse engineering. Like my 18-year-old daughter's a photographer and when she first um, – uh, told her dad she wants to be a photographer. He's like, how are you going to make money out of photography? Like, that's a stupid thing. And I'm like, stop it right there. Don't ever say that. She can make money out of anything she puts her mind to. So I kind of said to her, you know, think of this thing called reverse engineering where you're going to say, okay, I'm going to earn $5,000 a week. Now, and she's only 18 and I gave you this target, $5,000 a week. How many photo shoots do you have to do to get $5,000 a week, you know? So she started working out, you know, all these strategies and stuff and how many photo shoots with models she had to do and, and how many a day and whatever. And, like, she's 18 and she is now earning $1,000 a day. She's already done it and she's 18. She, she does only do it one day a week. Like she gets all of her, um, although this week she's doing four days, so she's pretty good. But um, she she tends to focus on one day a week because she's at uni. Um, but wow, next year when she's finished uni, if she keeps that up, she's just going to – she's already had her, her um, photos um, published in New York magazines, LA magazine, and she's not afraid to just go out there. She, she's really good with all the social media and she gets a lot of work from Instagram um, and she knows how to build rapport with people. And well, She's 18 and the way she organises a photography team of about six people, 
I'm in awe of her. Like, I think, wow, I taught you this stuff. It's so cool. Thank you to Dawn Canale, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.